everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday evening gathering at Quite Frankly. It is Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. It is the first day of summer. Summer is here. Spring was yesterday. Today is summer. Fall is on the way. You don't think it'll be here quick? <laughs> when did you think summer was going to show up? Never. Summer wasn't going to come. It was too far away. But it's here, and I hope that whatever uh, whatever you did to uh, acknowledge it, it was a peaceful day. It let the sun splash on your face if it was sunny. It was actually kind of cool over here today. It didn't feel like summer. It felt like spring. But I don't care. Um, I'm happy to be here with you. And everybody who's watching across the uh, the several sites that you can find us live at 7 p.m. That's quite frankly TV, YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, D Live, Theta, Rockfin, and beyond. If you're watching on YouTube and on Rumble, please, please make sure that you don't sit on those thumbs. You use them. Give it a like. Give it a like because it's uh, it, it really helps us. It really helps us get no, get noticed, at least, at the very least, by people who have already subscribed and may have forgotten that we exist because of how the algorithm treats people who voluntarily subscribe to things that they want to see more of. It's a very weird thing that happens. But uh, thank you so much for the support and for you being here with us tonight. We have a shorter broadcast lined up for you this evening, and so I intend to spend a good portion of it with a returning guest, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. And uh, we're going to be speaking with Tony, who is a best-selling author and a former Department of Defense intelligence operative. We're going to be speaking with him about um, about Ukraine. I'd like to get a little bit of a little bit of his insight into the curious strategies that are being employed out there, if you can call them that, and maybe just talk a little bit more about big picture endgame things um, from a guy who knows his way around the battlefield. Uh, digital and otherwise. So uh, a grab bag to start. That's what we'll do. A badass to end it all. And then we do it all over again tomorrow for a almost a full two hours because tomorrow night is the fourth and almost final, almost final evening on Book Club with Charlie Robinson for Shoeless Joe. And I say almost because this weekend we have to all watch field of dreams together we'll do that as a sunday night premiere and i told charlie and everybody else who's been reading along we have to watch it together so that we can get back on air one more time and and compare the the book to the movie and and have a good time with that and then it's just uh clear clear sailing into august and that is going to be a great book club i really hope that you guys do not miss out it's actually going to be a little bit of a thicker read. Shoeless Joe is a seamless read. But this, you don't want to miss out on this one. Trust me. Okay. So that's what we got on tonight. Thank you so much to all my wonderful sponsors, especially BlueMonsterPrep.com. Um, go and check them out. All of your needs for prepping solar power generators to just a good helping hand. Great neighbors they are, Pat and Gina. And I just got a super chat. Well, I got a, uh, a a a nice donation off air that that was pretty much just a thank you for introducing 
this very kind person to Blue Monster Prep. They just went on and on about Pat and Gina, and they felt that I was I was deserving of a small tip. And I, hey, I'm just happy that people are happy. That's the way it goes. So go and check them out on the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv and all the other affiliates there. You'll find promo codes and little blurbs about the companies that are listed, etc., etc. And um, and that's that. I I think that's it. All right, into the grab bag we go. First one up, we have a, another couple of updates from the the Titanic situation. Of course, time is running out. I don't know how the hell it's going to uh, to work out, and everybody has their theories at this point, including that it's all distraction. Again, from what? You know, everything else. Oh, yes, because everybody's looking at it, and everybody's donating all of their time to it, too. So you got to come up with a better theory than just blankly calling it a distraction. I'm interested in alternative theories. Are they on a treasure hunt? Did they find inner earth? What the hell? But for the time being, uh, it's not looking good. This tourist sub, they say it could be tangled in the actual Titanic's wreckage. Can you imagine that? The Titanic claims another life all these years later. 1% chance of success they're giving it. And now there's just more and more coming out about the actual craft itself. If you want to call it that. Cobbled together with some used pinball machine parts. And I was talking with my my doctor this morning because she checked in on Aurora. Because I told her Aurora had a little bit of a uh, a fever and some sniffles the other day. And she, she bounced back and like... 12 hours but um she she said you know how's she doing everything's fine how are you guys doing oh fine good we're just leaving the country for a little bit so i wanted to make sure that everybody was well over there I said oh fine yeah uh where are you going i hope you're not going to go see the titanic in a submarine and she um she had a good chuckle and i gotta say as horrible as this is to consider anybody being in that position to take a risk, although this seems like it's a dumb... You know, you go, you want to go climb a, a mountain, you go and hire yourself a Sherpa or something like that, and you go with the best of the best, and you then it's always still just a risk. It's you in an extreme condition, and uh, maybe you've trained for it and, and whatever, and you're going, in, you're going in there, you're not green. This is just looking dumber and dumber just from a technological standpoint. Not the fact that people take a risk and that they got the balls to do something that someone like me wouldn't. That's not it. But all that being said, the memes have been incredible. The memes on this has been incredible. Um, I posted a few on the Telegram. I think just one. But the, the things I have seen... <laughs> the things I have seen are just completely inappropriate. And they have just really... They've been good. Um, this is the thing that has been going around a little bit more today it is a um i guess a, a documentary or some kind of an interview from the ceo of this ocean gate who is in the submersible right now he's explaining how the company didn't want to hire any experienced quote 50 year old white guys because they weren't they didn't make for an inspirational story of course i'm sure that he would love for an uninspiring 50-year-old white guy Marine to show up right now to west rescue him. But listen to this. Listen to what he talks about. The CEO talks about hiring people. 
Uh, yes, I mean, when I start a business, one of the things you'll find, there are other sub-operators out there, but they, they typically um, have uh, gentlemen who are ex-military submariners, and they you'll see a whole bunch of 50-year-old white guys. Um, I wanted our team to be younger, to be inspirational, and I'm not going to inspire a 16-year-old to, to go pursue marine technology. But a 25-year-old, uh, you know, who's a sub-pilot or a, a platform operator, one of our techs, can be inspirational. And so we've really tried to, to get... Inspirational, or do you want real-world, grizzled experience? Yeah, I, I don't, I see, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that, but this is a this is a virus of the mind, and yeah, it's a billionaire, so he's done something right. He's done something right to amass that kind of wealth, but but you can see how that does not mean that you have uh, your faculties all together, and that you're not being led astray by a really really self defeating uh, a self defeating outlook on life and business and and scientific innovation. Um very intelligent, motivated, younger individuals involved because we're doing things that are completely new. We're taking approaches that are used largely in the aerospace industry is related to safety and uh, some of the, the preponderance of checklists, uh, things we do for risk assessments and things like that that are more aviation related than um, ocean related. Well, maybe, maybe that wasn't the right approach. And there's been no shortage of uh, testimony people who said that they were very very off put by the the risks the unnecessary risks and the safety concerns with this submersible so I hope that uh, they, they inspired some 16 year old what they would inspire what they did is they did show some 16 year old out there what not to do because it does not look like it doesn't look too good right now and nothing you know that story that part of the story hasn't changed for me with the the the, uh, the race against time aspect, I do not wish harm on anyone. It would be wonderful for all these people to to get out of there um, in, at, this, at this rate, at the, in the nick of time. But damn, damn. Diversity and equity, man, it's deadly. It is deadly. It kills spirit. It kills quality. And uh, who the hell knows? But that's just one more thing I wanted to throw out there. All right, here's another thing that kills your spirit, if not gives you a good laugh. Put on your clown wig and just laugh and honk your way to bed. Uh, John Durham had his day before Congress today, and he said that Comey, McCabe, Strzok, and others would not agree to be interviewed by prosecutors. You know, if, if that happened, if there was anything of that the other side, if this was an operation the other side was running, which, of course... That's probably what this is, the other side running the operation, because if they actually wanted to get somebody, any refusal or polite declination of an invite and no subpoenas, uh, th th this would not be, this would not be um, just incredible how much of a flat tire this was. And, and you know the other thing there too? Up until today, I've never heard John Durham's voice. And when he was appointed, I guess the appointment coming from Bill Barr alone should have been enough because the guy we're going to talk to tonight actually got in touch with him a couple of days after the election to tell him to stop his meddling into things that he um, that he did not want investigated. That's right, Tony Schaefer. You remember the first time he was on? We are talking to him about the, the phone call, the angry phone call he got from Bill Barr. Anyway, 
John Durham, we put a lot of, at least I did for a time, a lot of excited faith into what he was going to come up with just because of his, um, what people talked about his work in Connecticut, um, how he was a bulldog kind of a guy and that he doesn't take shit from anybody. And of course, every picture you have of him had this big bushy beard and he's kind of looks like Walter White, but just, just angrier. I don't know. I didn't know what the hell I was expecting. And then you get this little nasally voice and I'm sure he's very diligent or he was. Can't say he's been very diligent now with letting all these people say, no, I'm not going to talk to you. Special counsel John Durham, this is from the Gateway Pundit. On Wednesday, testified before House Judiciary Committee about his investigation into the origins of Spygate. Last month, John Durham released his final report concluding the FBI had no verified intelligence when it opened the crossfire hurricane investigation into Trump in 2016. In July of 2016, Peter Strzok opened a counter-intel investigation into Trump's campaign, dubbed Crossfire Hurricane. He probably thought that sounded really cool. On suspicions based on no evidence that the Russians had infiltrated Trump's circle. John Durham didn't charge any FBI officials involved in the coup. Former FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith was charged with a process crime that's false statements and given a slap on the wrist. Durham even uh, never even issued Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Lisa Page, and others a subpoena to compel testimony. That's what we learned today. That's what at least I learned today. According to Real Clear Investigations reporter Paul Sperry, John Durham did not interview any FBI officials involved in targeting Trump. Durham never even subpoenaed them. Paul Sperry put this out, John Durham, Paper Tiger. No interview, no subpoena to Strzok, to McCabe, to Comey, to Bill Priestap, to Simpson, to Mark Elias, to Joffe. I mean, I didn't know this until today. Paul Sperry put this out in May. Then again, I've been so checked out with certain things. What's my attention going to do to it? do for this whole thing you know so on Wednesday Durham whined that McCabe struck Comey and others would not agree to be interviewed by his prosecutors it is as disappointing perhaps more disappointed more disappointing to me and my colleagues that they would not agree to be interviewed some of them had a lot to say publicly but they refused to be interviewed of course of course now what could he have done to compel them Could he have done anything? If he could have, he didn't. And now this is just, uh, I don't know, it was, I don't know, Hank Johnson had a, had a time, had a turn. Everybody had their turn to just do whatever. Had to listen to Corey Bush and all these absolute paramecians. We're talking single cell organisms here. The brains that they wish they had, but they still got the mouth. It's just incredible. What, what did what did uh, what did the scarecrow say in Wizard of Oz? Some people do an awful lot of talking for having no brains, or I, I I don't know. It's it's all true though, all of it, all of it's very true. So, gonna have my brioche tonight and forget about the whole damn thing. Even though I didn't watch too much, I know many of our friends out there they go through all of the the pain of watching and threading and highlighting video for all of us so that we don't have to do this, put ourselves through that kind of strain for hours and hours. But here's something else for you. The New York Post. 
cover something that you could have watched happen in real time over the last day or so. Elon Musk vows to suspend Twitter users for harassment over slurs like cisgender and cis. What do you think about this? Elon Musk condemned the words cis. That's C-I-S. It's not even really a word. It's just a it's made up psychobabble. And cisgender, but of course, you know, they, they have big dictionary in their back pocket. All the big industries that they have in these, these freaks' bag, back pockets, we know over the last couple of years alone how easy it is for them to add and edit things, definitions, everything from the dictionary itself. Literally change where the vaccine was. Elon Musk condemned the word cis and cisgender as slurs on Twitter after a user complained about receiving harassing messages from trans activists calling him sissy. That's C-I-S-S-Y. The words cis or cisgender are considered slurs on this platform, Musk tweeted on Wednesday. Repeated targeted harassment against any account will cause the harassing accounts to receive at minimum temporary suspensions. How Now, I don't understand this. I don't understand it at all. I'm not. I don't agree with it at all. If there is like gang stalking, kind of gang stalk, but but gang tweeting, kind of stuff that's going on where you're almost being DNS attacked on Twitter, especially by the same account saying the same things over and over again. I mean that in itself, the volume with absolutely no intention of having a dialogue or anything like that, but the volume being used as some sort of a notification based weapon. I can see that being something that could be uh, warranted for a, you know, that, that would, how that would warrant a suspension or some kind of a temporary service pause or something. But the use of the word of made-up psychobabble words, I, I, that's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That actually gives the psychobabble, like, power. That's, uh, that's ridiculous. The censure was in response to a tweet by conservative commentator James S's. Yesterday, after posting a tweet saying that I reject the word cis and don't wish to be called it, I received a slew of messages from trans activists calling me sissy and telling me that I am a cis whether I like it or not. <laughs> so, so what? Responses to the thread contain a slew of differing opinions with some users celebrating Musk's declaration and others asking how cis could be a slur to still others calling the move extreme. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. You know, uh, Aurora calls me things all the time. Silly things. For You know, he, she'll, she'll come up to me now lately and she'll do it to Lauren. She'll do it to my mother or whatever. She'll come up to me lately and she'll say things like, Daddy, you look like a sandwich. And it's she, the way in her little way that she says sandwich, like I look like a sandwich. Now, if I, if, if, that, that would be like me saying, Aurora, don't you dare call me that again. Don't call me a sandwich again, Aurora. Say it's not the same thing, Frank. Yes, it is because people who use the word, the sound, sis or cisgender unironically are children. If you are using it as an adult unironically, you are a retard in the purest clinical way that you can apply the word. You are retarded. That's that's just what it is. 
to, to go out there and, and give it credence by banning its use or anything like that, it's so ridiculous. You should pity anybody that uses that word unironically. It's a pitiful situation. Just let it wash over you and know that you're not them. At least you're not them. It, what, what did Norm Macdonald say? Cisgender, what, what is this? What is cisgender? Oh, it's a way of marginalizing a normal person. This is really sad stuff. So to ban it or to make it ban worthy is not a good, not a good look at all. Again, if, if there is some sort of a verifiable group activity that is in a sense using their Twitter accounts to almost like DNS attack somebody, whether they're saying cis or whether they're saying banana or whether they're saying whatever, that's something, you know, that kind of swarming behavior, perhaps there's something to be talked about there about about reporting and and uh, temporary suspensions or all that I don't know that's uh, that's above my pay grade but this is stupid dumb all right well that's that we will be right back we're gonna set the table for lieutenant colonel Tony Schaefer don't go anywhere and stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Sis. Don't you call me sis or else I'll be so sad. Please don't call me sis. I'm not a sis. Oh, don't call me sis. That's a slur. That's a slur. Oh, you freaks. Freaks. Is this real life? As Albert would say. What the hell is this? talking about simulations and so, and reality and simulation theory last night this is what I'm talking about and it all goes hand in hand so much of this is indistinguishable from a dream it doesn't have to be a good dream it could be just one of those WTF dreams doesn't have to be a bad dream either it's just what the heck was that I had quite a dream like, like that last night in fact now I'm remembering it it took place right in this room Two people I haven't seen in a while were here with me. One of them I just re recently thought about. I had to go give them a call, see how they're doing. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you still here? I would like to jump into something that I saw on Zero Hedge. And whereas it's going to be a short show, I should have some time for your super chats after Tony Schaefer gets off with us. And on Zero Hedge, I saw this. 
Uh, here it is. This is from Michael Tracy about Ukraine. Tonight we're going to do a little bit of a Ukraine round roundup because we haven't done it in a while. And it's still lingering out there, and we know it's going to have some significant part to play. Now, I also would love to play, if I have time tonight, if not, I'll save it for tomorrow, uh, that, little, uh, that little rant that Jim Caviezel had on War Room that does in, in many ways have to do with Ukraine and asking what is really going on out there, what is really running the world, what is happening. So we'll see how we can get around to that. Michael Tracy The government keeps lying to us about Ukraine. Where is the outrage? On June 4th, a group referring to itself as the Polish Volunteer Corps issued a boastful announcement confirming its participation in a series of cross-border ground offenses into Russia. News of these audacious raids was jarring enough given the many prior assurances of U.S. and Ukrainian war planners who insisted no attacks would be carried out inside of Russian territory. It was all the more conspicuous that the uh, incursion units were apparently comprised of Polish soldiers. Poland, of course, is not only a NATO member state, but the NATO member state with which the U.S. has most uh, assiduously aligned itself since since Russia's February 2022 invasion of Ukraine. Polish government officials deny any formal connection to the Polish Volunteer Corps. So the raids raised an obvious yet often neglected question. Just what the hell is U.S. policy in Ukraine? And that's a big part of what I want to ask Tony Schaefer tonight. What is U.S. policy in Ukraine? And what is the end game? If you turn on, the, turn on the TV, you'll find pundits on every channel loyally reciting from memory the broad parameters of the U.S. mission, at least as it's being conveyed in daily rhetorical flourishes by Biden administration officials, assorted congressional chest thumpers, and brave think tank warriors. Freedom and, freedom and autocracy are locked in a great cosmic battle of good versus evil, or so goes the usual storyline most often narrated with a degree of moral complexity that can be generously compared to a lower-tier Marvel movie. It's really uh, well well categorized. It's really well done in being described that way because that's what it is. Uh, And that makes a lot of sense to the average moviegoer, but uh, there are those of us out here that just can't settle for that. But apart from this steady stream of heavily recycled platitudes, was it ever plainly disclosed to the Americans, the chief financial sponsors of the Ukraine war effort after all, that the scope of the war effort they found themselves subsidizing would eventually expand to include platoons of Polish soldiers marching straight into Russia? Did anyone back in Washington, D.C. sign off on this, or was there ever an opportunity granted for public uh, consideration of its potentially foreboding implications? Uh, it, It goes beyond that. It goes beyond that, too. Because the Polish soldiers marching straight into Russia, you know that American special operations have been have got to be doing stuff like that. You know that we have boots in the ground out there. There has to be. There has to be. Especially with all of the equipment, the tanks, everything that's been sent out there. For what? For whose use? Whose use? Some green underage recruits who have had... Uh, a few weeks of boot camp who is manning much of this new equipment 
I mean, there's got to be a lot more than just Polish soldiers marching straight into Russia for some fly-by-night um, missions or, or something like that. There, there's, there's so much more going on here. At least in theory, the U.S. is treaty-bound to come to the defense of Poland in the event of armed attack. And while Poland may nominally disavow the Polish Volunteer Corps, a Polish journalist writing for Poland's largest digital publication says he was in attendance at a founding organizational meeting in Kiev this past February, during which the unit was established not as a ragtag group of untested amateurs, but as an elite sabotage and reconnaissance force which from the get-go was, quote, reporting directly to the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, end quote. Per this account, the unit was uh, to consist of Polish, uh, Poland's most, this is a quote, most experienced soldiers with notable imprecision as to where specifically those soldiers hailed from. Then there's the fact that shortly before the formation of the Polish Volunteer Corps, a cross-coalition bill was submitted to the Polish parliament, which would make it legal for Polish nationals to fight in the armed forces of Ukraine. The war against Russia was to be recognized as a, quote, special situation from the point of view of the national security of the Republic of Poland, end quote. The text also reads, quote, requiring non-standard political and legislative actions on the part of the state, end quote. The Polish Volunteer Corps has been conducting joint operations with the Russian Volunteer Corps, another fully integrated special unit within the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine. Euphemistically referred to in the Western media headlines with the plausible deniability monikers like pro-Ukraine groups of partisans, given how these ostensibly unattached partisans have been bragging about taking Russian hostages and otherwise getting themselves involved in increasingly spectacular, provocative attacks, one understands why Ukraine might wish to sustain plausible deniability. Well, I mean, in that respect, uh, you, you have your answer as to, you know, as, as if we, we needed a little bit more confirmation as to who's blowing up pipelines, bridges, and dams out there. They are not ragtag groups of pro-Ukraine group, uh, pro-Ukraine, uh, you know, units and all that stuff. They're highly specialized soldiers that are being used as mercenaries and 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 performing very complex missions, very complex missions. And where's it all going? Well, I want to bring somebody on here tonight, somebody we haven't seen since 2020. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer joins us. We haven't connected with him since uh, 2020 when he came on to discuss not only his career, signals intelligence gathering, able danger, and the stunning phone call that he received from Bill Barr right after the 2020 election, advising him to stop poking around what were the uh, these, these mysterious truckloads of ballots being shipped across state lines from New York and Pennsylvania that we were hearing about, at least one truck driver, if I remember correctly, was out there. But he's a New York Times best-selling author, retired DOD Intel operative, and he's here with us tonight. It's been a long time, but it's great to have you back. Uh, how are you, Mr. Schaefer? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Oh, well, it's it's wonderful to see you. And you know what? Great spot on uh, with Judge Knapp today. I, I, I stumbled upon that by accident, and I was so happy to see you guys together. You did great. Thank you. Well, uh, as I told the judge after I got up there, I always enjoy calling these guys out. I was just literally texting with another general on this who uh, feels the way I do, that much of the advice we see the Ukrainians getting 
and as reflected by Dave Petraeus, is like you'd have uh, literally, and I just got this, uh, infantry commanders coming out of the basic course as lieutenants doing a better job of understanding and advising on tactics than, than Dave Petraeus apparently. So, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a very sad thing. And it's not even it's not even really from a tactical standpoint because I what what the hell do I know I play I've played Stratego as a uh, as a kid uh, you know but it's not every day I get to speak with someone who can actually make sense of the senseless that's uh, the senselessness that's being reported on in Ukraine so that's why I wanted to jump right in with you and as far as Petraeus sure. goes it's not even so much strategy as it is an overall report on the the strength and the um, the probabilities of success for Ukraine when every couple of months it seems like they need more money to rebuild an entirely new army. I mean, how many armies have they gone through? But um, let's start with this, the spring offensive. Sure. This uh, this spring offensive has been marketed like a Marvel movie. I don't understand the media promotion of such a thing, but has the offensive begun? Was it already crushed? Wh wh where are we with that? So, well, I resent any uh, media pr promoting something that is tragic and seeing the loss of life at the scale we are as something of a blood sport. I mean, I actually talked about today, uh, and I don't know if it was with the judge or not, but about, you know, why don't we just bring back the Roman uh, Colosseum and put people in, in, in with the lions and stuff if you want to see blood and guts, because that's what this is. This is really inappropriate. Uh, no matter what side you're on, the idea of cheering one side or the other and watching people die in, in the thousands, it's just, it's just not a good thing. And I think for those of us who've been in combat, I think we recognize that those are individuals. Those are people with families. Uh, those are people with histories. Uh, and I think in many ways, as I said during the judge's interview, it's like it's tragic. I, I feel their pain, so to speak. And I just don't think that we should be encouraging a, a continuation of a conflict that's not going to result in any clear victory on either side. I think it's just it's just useless. But with that said, the promotion was inappropriate, not, not only from the, the uh, tabloid um, effects of it, uh, I think it's because also they were lying. Uh, they, uh, and I, I guess the, the the best way of of, of um, summarizing they is the Victoria Newlands, Tony Blinkens, the Dave Petraeuses have all essentially uh, subordinated themselves to interests such as uh, big military pr uh, production. All that money that they UC spent, it ha most of that's going to the U.S. Uh, industrial base to produce these weapons for use. So I think uh, in many ways, we're simply seeing the military industrial complex flexing its muscle by encouraging kind of a, a useless war for purposes of benefit, you know, and I, I, I'm sorry to say that. And I have friends who still work in the industry, but I've made this comment to him. It's like, I just don't think it's appropriate. You guys are essentially marketing your your products in the backs and the blood of, of those fighting in Ukraine and, and Russia. I just don't think it's a good idea. Secondly, uh, the the focus on this, I think, takes away the focus on China, where I think we should be focused on. I think China is rising. I know some of my colleagues don't agree with me on this, but I, I do believe that we have to be wary of the fact that the Chinese have been executing a plan that goes back to the 90s, probably before that, to uh, reacquire what they believe is rightfully theirs regarding uh, boundaries and, and influence within the Pacific. And uh, if we ignore that, I think we're going to find ourselves in a very dire situation within five years. And I've said this several times. And lastly, on the point of the offensive, uh, I think it has started. I think it's about two weeks in. And um, as I said during the judges show today, I don't know who's advising them. And if it's Victoria Newland and Dave Petraeus, 
man, they're getting some horrific advice. You don't do breaching operations without uh, air, air superiority and uh, direct artillery support uh, in, the, in broad daylight. And I think that's why you see these uh, little videos coming out of the Ukrainians in their M- M2A2s, the Bradleys, with some loss, some, uh, you know, the numbers. By the way, anytime I hear a number coming out of either side, I cut it in half. You know, if the Russians say 6,000, cut it to, to three. If the Ukrainians are saying uh, 80, cut it to 40. I think that we have to recognize both sides are engaging in propaganda and trying to essentially uh, lie for purposes of their own uh, domestic consumption. And so we, uh, on our side then, I think are obligated to to be wary of anything that's reported, uh, think for ourselves. And in, in many instances, I think we've lost track of what's in our U.S. interests to, to do. And I think that uh, this is, again, something that that we should be working to help bring an end to the con- conflict, not uh, promoting one side or the other, trying to encourage this uh, unending death and destruction of, of uh, people, personnel, and places. It's uh, I, that that would be the the humanitarian, uh, humane approach to it, no doubt about it. Um, but as this thing goes along, and you see a very bipartisan bloodlust. And you also, and you also see, uh, you we also learn about uh, m- meaningful, potentially at, at some at some point, meaningful negotiations that were scuttled by uh, by again us uh, behind the scenes. And it's just it's horrible. So you know the bias is strong. We saw that even come bleeding out into the uh, into the public again during that that Trump town hall and CNN that she just that that uh, moderator just could not let it go and wanted to hear him say we're in for Ukraine and right. uh, it wasn't enough to just say we want people to stop dying and I'm glad you brought up China because I have a question on that that I'll bring up in a sure. couple of in a couple of minutes here but um, enrichment enrichment through war, war profiteering I guess that's a given the biggest thing here for us um, for, you know as citizens a stateside and what we are in uh, what we are witnessing in the media is that from the media uh, obviously attached to the intelligence community, the Pentagon, uh, and others in government, they all insist that not only is Russia losing, but Ukraine will recover, not only win, but they will recover all lost lands, including Crimea. Now, combine that with the gaslighting about the cause of the war itself, it's pretty yeah. distressing to someone like me and people in the audience because it makes us wonder if they're willing to lie about this, what are we be, being set up for in this suicidal gambit? Where is it designed to go? So th- is it nuclear? Is it? Uh, are they trying to create a new frozen conflict like in North Korea and, and South Korea? All I know is uh, it can't stay like this, and Russia doesn't seem to be playing around. So from your perspective, what do you think the end goal is? So I think – let me start with Russia because I think it's the most basic, easy to explain. The, the Russians – have been fearful of outside invasion since before the Soviet empire. Going back to a number of czars, they've been invaded a lot, a number of times. So while I know I don't agree with Putin, I don't agree with the Russians, to not accept that they have a point of view of the world very different than ours is insane. You have to understand that there's a, a basic paranoia within their mentality. Secondly, uh, They've always had the position, what's ours is ours and what's yours is negotiable. And that's what, you know, I have friends and, and mentors who, from the Reagan administration still to this day, and they learned how to manipulate the Russians. They had to play the Russians, play, play. And I've said this before in other interviews, 
the uh, the Russians speak Cold War. They 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 have a language. They use it, and that language is, is sometimes in visuals and, and signals. And the Biden administration is either ignoring it or not smart enough to figure it out. But Putin has a perspective that his people support. His approval is very high, and ultimately they're trying to establish what they believe they're due, which is protect zones of protection, basically buffer buffer zones around them. That's why they took Eastern Europe after the uh, after World War II, and we had the Cold War, and uh, back to the 90s when uh, when the Russians were. Uh, not long, no longer the Soviets. They were the Russians. Uh, I think it was '95, where they had the Dayton Accords, where essentially they uh, they convinced Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union, by the way, to give up its nukes. And the the promise for giving up their nukes was territorial sovereignty. And people tend to forget this: no eastern expansion of NATO. So uh, obviously that didn't last five years when you had people in the Clinton administration just saying, oh, yeah, whatever, we're going to do it. And so Putin started warning people in the in about 2003 that, hey, we're not digging this expansion and we're going to do something. So you go through that, you get to 2014, resources are found in the Donbass and in the Black Sea regarding oil and gas. That's where Hunter Biden comes in. We could go down a whole rabbit hole with that. Yeah. And the color revolution led by uh, Victoria Nuland, where you had essentially a pro-Russian government uh, removed, uh, according to Putin. Putin says there was a coup. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there was something that happened. I don't know all the details, but very clearly, United States with Obama and Nuland were involved. And it went from a pro-leaning Russian uh, government to a pro-EU, U.S. government. And I believe that between 14 and when Putin invaded, he recognized that the resources in the Donbass and in Black Sea under the control of Ukraine could eventually become a net competitor regarding the production of gas and oil. So ultimately, in my judgment, this is about two things for the Russians. Sovereignty regarding what they believe is theirs. Again, I'm not I'm not pro-Russian. I'm saying this is what their perspective is. And they did not want a net competitor to take the bottom out of the money they make from their oil and gas industry. That's it. That's what it's about for the Russians. And uh, what has happened is we, the United States, have not been unwilling to accept the fact that that's the way they see the world. And if you don't accept that, then, then you're projecting our values and our concepts onto them, which is not healthy. It doesn't get to sit anywhere. And I think that's why we have the problems we have now regarding the fact that we misread the Russians. And here we are. So now we go to our side. Uh, the U.S., NATO. Uh, I think there's a desire by the West, uh, by uh, the Obama types, uh, Newland, Petraeus today was talking about this, the, the neocons and the uh, neolibs, I would categorize them, uh, statists who really do want to have this one world governance they're moving everything towards, you know, no borders and stuff like that. It's all the George Soros nonsense, which funds a lot of this This their concepts pushing Ukraine to do the war against Russia. And the, their theory, that that is Newland and all those, that if we just use Ukraine as a battering ram, we will weaken Russia to the point at where it, it collapses. That's their theory. I don't think it's a sound theory, but that's their theory. Ultimately, what they want is Ukraine within the sphere of the EU 
and that those gas and oil reserves are used for the EU. And in the process of doing that, they want to destroy Russia, uh, which I'm against as much as I know Putin's a thug. He's murdered people in elevators, literally murdered by his own hands, murdered uh, reporters in elevators in in Moscow. Uh, You don't want to have the collapse of what's left of the Soviet Union or Russia. Uh, we've seen what happens when we cause that. Uh, the greatest example of that is, is Libya. Libya was run by a crazy guy named Gaddafi. No doubt he was crazy, but he, less, he at least had governed spaces. The last thing you want, like it happened in Syria too, is ungoverned spaces where you can have elements that are uh, essentially terrorist in nature take over and do things which I think will undermine a, a number of of Western constructs regarding how we, the United States and other folks want to work the the order the the ordered the rule based uh, uh, basis of our civilization the Western civilization and I so I don't know why they don't consider that as part of their equation but they don't and they are all for all in on the idea that they're going to use Ukraine no matter what it costs to the Ukrainians as a battering ram to get uh, get at Putin and Russia. Well, it uh, seems like everybody really has their, their 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 cards in hand and trying to play them well. I, I, and, and regardless of how crazy one person is deemed to be over the other, it always seems that whenever they are eventually toppled, something worse happens. So I exactly. I, I guess that's exactly. yeah that's um I I I think when you say our issues with foreign leaders or misunderstanding someone uh, or a, a nation in a culture away it really is again just what are the interests the business interests that are driving our governments because you know, the average american doesn't doesn't give a damn about you know uh, how people are living in russia the only people who should care about how they're living in russia are the people in russia and it, it again we are the ones just footing the bill for these out of control food fights cafeteria food fights that are now getting a little bit too um, uh, too serious, but you know the questions get darker still. You brought up a little bit about Hunter Biden, things like that, um, and of yeah. course, whatever you don't want to touch, you you don't have to. But it's been decried. Not okay, I can. Okay, so then baseless theory uh, censored to high heaven. We get a lot of this right now, um, but there has been very convincing work done by people just with open source on the internet and elsewhere, elsewhere um, exposing Ukraine of being a, a safe haven for secretive biological operations that's coupled with admissions from people like Victoria Newland, those canned uh, right. exchanges that she had with Marco Rubio and stuff, uh, 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 ever-expanding backgrounds and profiles of Nazi battalions in Ukraine, political kickbacks, extortion, human trafficking. What do you believe the extent of what is unseen what do you what do you believe the extent of the unseen is in this situation? Well, I think it's extensive. That's why you have so many big names involved in this. Like Dave Petraeus's involvement as a major figurehead uh, spouting the propaganda is not random. Uh, he's not doing this because he's a retired general. He's getting paid by somebody. I'd I'd like to know who it is because that goes to the dark interest you're mentioning right now. And I think it's extensive. Victoria Newland did. This is not. Fiction. This is not people, uh, theorists on the internet. This is Victoria Newland, as you mentioned, in a hearing where Marco Rubio asked her directly questions about what facilities were in, in, in um, inside of Ukraine. And I do believe that the U.S. government, especially those folks we're, we're talking about, are engaged in doing all sorts of research, which is essentially illegal here. That's why they were doing some of the, the uh, research at the Wuhan lab in, in China. Some of those things that, that are literally against the U.S. law, 
they will outsource to third countries. Uh, and again, the, the most apparent, uh, most uh, documented example of this was the black sites back when we were snatching terrorists and torturing them. But, oh, we didn't do it. It wasn't us. It was, uh, and Gaddafi did do that, by the way. That's one of the reasons I think Gaddafi was so shocked, because he was one of the, the receivers of terrorists we had captured that we didn't want to torture, so we gave them to him. We outsourced it. So I think the outsourcing thing is huge. All these other things that you're mentioning, I don't doubt. I don't have direct evidence of, nor do I know people for obvious reasons. I'm not involved in that and that nonsense. But I do believe that there's credible evidence of people who have been asked to testify and, and examine this, that, that things like that are going on. And, and I do believe that uh, after 2024, someone has to investigate all this. Uh, hopefully it'll be a administration who's willing to do the hard things of looking into this. But I do believe Newland and others are, are motivated because of these illegal and illicit activities, which are kind of rumored, some of which have been confirmed, but I do believe those are the things which are driving a lot of the activities and why we're supporting so vigorously Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, on the flip side of that, you had brought it up before. I'm glad you already went there. Anthony Blink, Anthony Blinken. Now, me, I, I'm a... Uh, I think that uh, some of the earliest kind of uh, anti or, or I don't know, deep state propaganda kind of reverse psychology against Americans to get into the world stage and start intervening and using our military as a cudgel is the whole idea of American isolationism. Is You're not an isolationist if all you want to do is concentrate on peace and being a, uh, you know, a good merchant on the world stage and all that other stuff. So when I ask about Ukraine, I ask about China, I'm not coming from a rah-rah, let's, let's, uh, let's be the world police thing here. I just want to know right. what, what you think the hell's going on here. Anthony Blinken just announced that the U.S. does not support Taiwan independence, and I, and I don't care one way or another, but what I, what I don't understand, um, why hundreds of billions of dollars to fight a losing war against a top Chinese ally? In fact, I believe that the Pentagon just found another so-called accounting error that is going to send no. an exa- another six, $6 billion to Ukraine. Right. They just find this money between the couch cushions out there. But this hundreds of billions for for Ukraine and nothing for Taiwan. Now, I, I, I just wonder what the hell that could be all about. So we should look at that because Taiwan is a major resource for the world. They are the foundry. They are the foundry for, I think, something like 90 percent of computer chips, which goes in cars. They make about one quarter, maybe one third of advanced chips, which go into other things. They are a very pr- uh, uh, productive, a very prosperous people. Uh, according to my friend Gordon Chang, I was on with him earlier today, 80 plus 80 plus percent of the population of Taiwan identify as Taiwanese, not Chinese. So there's a problem there because China says, oh, you're you're part of us. And Taiwan's saying, no, we're, we're Taiwan. And I do believe ethically uh, we should be supporting Taiwan because they are a democracy. They are they are a repu- they are a representative democ- democracy like us. They they re- they have representatives. They they do that. So I don't think it's in our interest to focus on on Ukraine, which I think is before the war. You recall, everybody was saying that, uh, that Ukraine was the most corrupt nation in in Europe. But now, oh, they're our friends. I don't buy that, and I do believe that Cy Hirsch is reporting on this is accurate regarding the the payback the the, the payoffs and, and the bribery going on and the pipelines with, 
And the pipelines too. And the, I do. I, I I tend to go with. I I know. I have not talked to Cy since this all started, but I I I know Cy, and I tend to go with him on a lot of things. And I think he's most mostly correct on what he's assessing right now. But with that said, let's get back to China real quick. China has decided. China PRC CCP has decided uh, that they uh, have the right to re-expand their control and influence to the boundaries of the old Han dynasty, the Ming dynasty, depending on whichever one is the biggest. They want to, they, they believe that their law is older than ours. And they're just going to do it. It's more nationalistic than communistic. That's, that's just what they're going to do. I've, I've worked on several uh, projects where we've studied this, and I do believe that that's where they're going. They, they indicate that every day with their aggressive nature. And so what the Chinese want they want control. They want that as a resource. They want those chips. They want those chips because they're producing things. Some of those chips actually go to them right now for production. But more importantly, they they believe that they have the right because they're older than us to basically reinsinuate themselves. And also, there's a a racial element to this. The Han, as the as a culture, as a minority, as a majority, as I should say, of the, the people, the 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 group as as the Han. I mean, we have different. Uh, categories of people, different uh, subgroups. The Han believe, and I'm going to say this, and I said this in another broadcast. They believe they are the chosen people, that they that 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 heaven has chosen them to be the leaders of the world, and everybody else should be subordinated to them. I I think something happened in the 1930s in Germany. It's so very similar thinking, hmm. and they, they're convinced that they have that right. That they are they are destined by heaven to do this. So they have this other kind of uh, mystical belief that what they're doing is not only backed up by uh, their tradition, they believe that they have the God-given right or whatever deity they care to mention as part of their philosophy. And so what you see now is their continued expansion, and they're basically following a very similar game plan as what the Japanese did during World War II regarding creating spheres of influence and control as they move out in waves like the Japanese did in World War II. And um, what we need to be concerned about, and again, I'm not I'm not for being the policeman of the world. It's not our job to save every democracy or decide that we're going to be the ones who go to war over other people's issues. Didn't work out well in Vietnam, hasn't worked out in other places. The only place that nation building has worked, mostly, is South Korea. South Korea is the one example the 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 one example that's actually worked our our being there and we're still there today from the korean war has resulted in the south koreans becoming a very pr- productive and prosperous people i drive a hyundai one of my cars is a hyundai and i i, I think it's a great car uh but uh, you know beyond that our, our nation building has not really worked out all that well and nor am i subscribing to the idea that we should now be jumping in to take over taiwan as a matter of fact it's interesting uh uh one of uh, Trump, President Trump's advisors, who also adv- was an advisor of, um, of the vice president of Pence, uh, was saying in a recent interview, I think within the last two months, that if the Chinese invade, we should destroy the foundries. Like, are you kidding me? Come on. That's just, just silly. Uh, the idea that we should take such an aggressive military stance, you know, the, 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 we're, we're just going to do this. Uh, Kellogg was his name, General Kellogg. And I, I'm not a fan of Kellogg. And he was saying that we do that. So there is a middle ground to be had. I actually debated um, on the John Stossel show back when Rand Paul declared to run for president back a few years ago. And I debated him on this because 
the, you know, Rand does not believe we should be doing anything at all. We should not, it's not our job to be the policeman of the world. And I don't disagree with that, but I do disagree with him on, because he was saying we shouldn't even be out there trying to control or patrol and, and ensure lines of communication, lines of commerce are kept open. You know, the, the sea lines of communication, there's a tremendous amount of shipping, as you know, goes on every day. We have tremendous numbers of, 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 of goods being moved all around the world in a given time in these big containers. And that's from India, Singapore, uh, Japan, South Korea. It's not just China. So I do believe that uh, while we're not obligated to be the ones who ensure that with our Navy, I think if we don't do it, who will? And, it will, and we, we should not give it to the UN. I don't trust the UN. And if we don't do it, the Chinese will gladly step in. And I don't think we're going to like the way they do it because they're not going to be as fair as we are. They're not going to understand that that our interests are to help maintain global commerce. Uh, global commerce would be done on the Chinese terms. And I think that's where uh, I draw the line of being a pacifist or seeking only peace. I think we, we need to be a good steward of our authority. Uh, we should not abuse it. We should not be a bully. But at the same time, if we've determined that it's in our interest to help world commerce, then we should stand up and, and say this is a prerogative that we will maintain no matter what. Well, I, I can see where Rand Paul is coming from on that because that's usually my stance on most things. But at the same time, there I mean, I, I think there's precedent of of using military to guard any kind of national merchant uh, interests going back right. to our our uh, confrontations with the Barbary pirates. You know, that's right, Triple I, I that's mean, right. I mean, that's 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 just what it is. I mean, any country, any country has the the, the right to. Um, to go in there and not only not only uh, protect their their people, but protect the whatever is keeping them prosperous. If it's not a if it's not a, a business being done in good faith, and you're being blockaded or anything like that's an act of war. So I I, I know that there's a gray area there's a gray area in there. But just to see that Taiwan has an issue with a larger country that's neighboring it, and and because it's big country versus little country, we have to step in. That is not something that I think it is just a uh, that's the qualifier for us. What is our personal interest in the matter that's always exactly. my first question oh well here's the last thing i have for you because you you talked about 2024 after 2024 hopefully we have a a friendly sane administration to, to try to sift through certain things and make peace and not war and all that well the first time you came on uh tony it was it was it was after 2020 you mm-hmm. you broke that crazy story about uh getting that phone call directly from bill barr of course there was so much so much going on those couple of months after the election that that story got swallowed up well just like so many other ones that in a saner time it would have been headline news why the hell was the attorney general calling you and telling you to stop looking into something that needed all the attention in the world but um, serious question now that we're heading into the 2024 uh, election year. Um, what is your your outlook on 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 our our chances of, of doing something with all those tools and all those people pretty much still in place? Um, and, and not only that, on top of it, ever since 2021, uh, the the war on terror has been turned yeah. inward on us domestically now, where all types yeah. of even reasonable dissent is considered proof of extremist sentiment so what are you looking at as far as our health as a as a nation going into 2024 well let's start with the last part first about the tools technology and capabilities that many of us developed during 
our time in service turning back on the American people. It's un, it's unconscionable. It's unacceptable. Uh, the hearings today, when we're you know uh, we're going through the Durham report, that all indicates to me that we have senior level government officials who have signed on to a political uh, party and that is the Democrat Party and the FBI, at least the leadership level, is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Democrat Party. That's not acceptable. And uh, I've talked, I'm still friends and mentors with a lot of folks to include a couple of former attorney generals. Uh, during Republican administrations, they really did work to not use official government mechanisms to go after political enemies. And that's all changed now. And I don't know how we're going to fix that because that 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 door is now open and it's very dangerous. It's a door that we cannot afford to maintain open. We do not want to become a banana republic. And the constant targeting of Trump is an indicator of how much we have become a banana republic. And it's something that we, we have to find a way to reverse. The way I would reverse it on the FBI I would, if if I whoever wins 2024, the first thing I would do is is basically remove the FBI leadership from service, find a way just to get rid of them, and I would disband the FBI. The FBI has good people, but they're not going to ever do a, a good their job honestly with that leadership above them. So I would take and uh, split the FBI uh, between uh, Pentagon. I would give the Pentagon its counterterrorism and um, counterintelligence mission, some of it, uh, they, the Pentagon, uh, actually I started off as an Army counterintelligence special agent. We have the authority to do counterintelligence stuff. As a matter of fact, we were the ones doing it primarily, we DOD before FBI came along and mm -hmm. kind of took it over. I think we did it better because we had no interest in getting involved in domestic politics for any number of reasons. And then give some of that to DHS. And I see DHS being a lot more sane than FBI at this point. And I know a lot of the folks over at DHS now, and I think they actually are trying to push back a little bit. And then uh, take the investigative mission and give it to the U.S. Marshals. Just accept the fact that the FBI is no longer a viable investigative organization to go after organized crime and all these other things, because they can't, they won't, and uh, just be done with it. And then you have to get rid of those inside of the DOJ who have become politicians pretending to be government officials and that's another area and and this this has to be done across the board i think it's one of trump's mistakes is he left uh personal decisions to rance Priebus and other folks who were clearly part of the cabal and the biggest thing is to recognize that the federal government is now a leviathan that is moving forward and this other thing is to get control of the budgetary process the other thing i talk about all the time is trump's mistakes is he never understood because he didn't have people there. As much as uh, Seb Gorka is a good guy and understands uh, a lot of issues, he was not a government mechanisms guy. He brought in, Trump brought in too many people who did not understand how to make the government do what he wanted it to do. And in the end then, by leaving that unaddressed, the, the government itself was working against him at the very end. I mean, DHS and all these other organizations were actually doing things to counter his message and policies to include the Pentagon. I mean, he had directed, you may know, to get us out of Syria, and uh, they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we'll do that," and and Millie didn't do it. They, they were they were actually so, uh, that, things like that. that. We were actually hiding that. That was the other. They were hiding troop placement that he didn't even know who was out right. there. So if he wanted to pull them out, he didn't know where they were. That was incredible to to learn right. that. Not acceptable. So that's another thing that I hope if Trump wins or so, whoever wins needs to learn that lesson. You need to get control of the bureaucracies, and you do that by the way by budget control. Uh, boy, bureaucrats uh, never scream louder than when you cut their budget. And I'm sorry, this this whole uh, fiction of oh, we're cutting you know this new deal for the the uh, debt limit, we're gonna cut. No, they didn't cut a thing. 
they don't cut anything. They never cut anything. All they do is reduce the amount of growth. Every year, the government will give every every bureaucracy the same amount of money with with a little bit more, like 7%. That's not a cut. They, they cut the percentage of increase, not not the amount of budget. So we we need to get control of our language, the language, and uh, people have to understand that they're being lied to. Uh, you know, on this whole issue of the, the the Inflation Reduction Act, that was the New Green Deal re, re, retooled for purposes of undermining uh, our fossil fuel and and energy industry for purposes of trying to push us into this insanity of of all these electric vehicles with no grid to support it. It's it's completely insane and, and counterproductive. And th- there's things like this that we have to just basically kind of regain control of, especially the the the, the verbiage, because they will lie. They will create. All this and back to your opening question: What they will, what will they lie about? They lie about everything at this point. They lied about COVID, lied about the vaccines, they lied about, uh, they're lying about Ukraine. They, all these things are lies, and yet somehow they, we, by them having access to the large donors on the left, like Soros, they can take over think tanks, they can do all this stuff with non-governmental organizations. They have the media control. It's time for people to start thinking critically and trying to think for themselves because uh, as a process of getting control of this, hopefully in 2024, people have to ask hard questions and demand answers. And we've got to push this or else we, we will we will lose the republic at the rate we're going. Yeah. Uh, well, I, one thing I am inspired by is a lot of different citizen groups that have been doing things for um, the so-called election integrity on the state levels. We've had some really fascinating yep. conversations like that with people in the last couple of weeks alone. I know that that is uh, nationwide and I, uh, I I, hey, you know what? I it, I think it's a fair assessment, and I really appreciate you being on with us again tonight. Um, it's uh, hopefully you're on again sometime before the, you know 2026. But happy the, to join you. I pre- I appreciate and enjoy our conversations. It was my it was my fault. I could have I could have just as easily reached out and asked you to come on. So I'll make sure that I uh, I'll extend some more inf- invitations. Where can people find you, Tony, over the course of the next uh, couple of weeks or every day? Do you have a, a regular broadcast schedule? So yeah, look, I do. We do. We have uh, for London Center for Policy Research and, and Project Sentinel, ProjectSentinel.net. They can check out what we're doing there at LondonCenter.org. We have our own YouTube channel. We produce a couple of different things to educate people. One is Thought to Action, where we actually do deep, detailed reviews of policy issues. We've had Andy Biggs and Scott Perry on. We do fun things on Second Amendment. We have my friend uh, Adam Baldwin, not, not the the good Baldwin, not the not the bad Baldwin, <laughs> uh, you know, and. Uh, we we have uh, rock and roller Sheree Curry from the Runaways come on and do things. We have cultural war, and also I do a radio, uh, net, uh, a uh, internet radio show called The Hard Truth. With Tony Schaefer on the America Out Loud Network, uh, where we have uh, interesting. Car- Today we interviewed um, the vice president of Six Hour, uh, Tom Taylor, talking about Six Hour and some of the things that they're doing with their guns. And of course, they're going to be the ones. Arming up the U.S. Army with new weapons, which are, is coming in a, in a good t- at a good time, as a matter of fact. But so anyway, I always enjoy the time we have, and I hope people come check us out. And I think we try to do our best to educate folks on on what's really going on. And we're not, you know, we don't take any money from uh, any big corporations, so that makes us very unpopular. And we do our best with what we got. Well, well, we appreciate your work and we appreciate the time. I put your your Twitter handle in the description of this episode as well. So hopefully, you get a couple more people following you there. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a short show tonight. Like I said, let's go to a really quick intermission. The band has not gotten here yet. So when we come back, your Super Chats. 
couple of other thoughts, and um, and we'll wrap up. We'll wrap up. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 Quite frank
I believe is an act of war, and there's nothing wrong with having escorts and having our Navy out there protecting shipping lanes that are going to keep our people safe, our citizens safe, and our economic interests safe. I see where that that's something that you can talk about, but just to hear, oh, big country, big country is making a problem for small country. We got to be the superheroes. Nope. Nope. I, no. Not even a Lend-Lease. I wouldn't even do Lend-Lease. So, um, yes, that's what I have for you on that. There's a lot of other things that came to mind over the course of that, that conversation that I knew it was just too limited of an evening tonight to uh, to bring it up, uh, to you know expand and branch out and to go into other areas. But I hope that you enjoyed it. I really do. It's great to have Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer back on with us. Here is a little something that um, you want to talk about the, the, the unknown. Here's a little something that Jim Caviezel said on War Room with Steve Bannon. I think it was either yesterday or today, earlier today. It's been getting around. Take a listen to this. For labor, for slave labor, or is it... Adrenochrome. The whole adrenochrome empire. This is a big deal. uh, It is listed under the NIH. It is uh, is a chemical compound. It's a molecular structure. It's uh, C9H9NO3. It is, um, it, it's an elite drug that they've used for many years. It's 10 times more potent than um, uh, heroin. And um, it has some mystical qualities as far as making you look younger. Um, there's, there, there's that scene in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas that nobody could figure out. No, it's, I saw and that. Why, did, why does MS-13 have the most advanced guns? You know, why do we Sinaloan gangs have all How come 110,000? People died or disappeared in Mexico City. Where did they go? And they're starting pulling people out of body bags now. You know, how, uh, this is just insane. With our military, our special forces, and we don't take care of this. You can't just have that demand unless somehow that's organized also. A hundred percent. I believe, okay, so the agents that I've... I, it's, it's a good point there. It's something we've said on this show many times when you talk about the, the amount of human life that is lost. And when I say lost, I mean... Unaccounted for, gone, children gone. Um, how how we're we're outpacing some countries that have a bigger population than we do as far as children that disappear. That is, that is the mark of an industry, a shadow industry that is in very very high demand. It's an industrial level demand. For, for human life. I've spoken to. All right, here's here's the for a barrel of oil, seventy seven dollars for a barrel of body parts and uh, what's going to be adrenochrome, all the plumes that are in the woman's m- mother's wombs, that goes into a plastic barrel. That's seventy seven thousand. Now that gets sent into these um, uh, oh, barrel, bio labs. Barrel oil, seventy-seven dollars, seventy-seven thousand dollars for a, a Ukrainians have Russian bloodline and everything. And then I started looking up that. And then I started looking up this Azov Battalion stuff, the Nazis. And then the we were, just find they're out they're worth financing. But the, but we were told for two years that this is this is not. It, there's it, no Nazis there, right. but now there are. Right. Again, the, this is another conspiracy theory. 
it keeps changing. It either this or that. See, and this is where it's a joke. When, when it, you know, and Americans are seeing this. They're, we're talking about this all the time. But I was giving good data on this, and now I realize, well, wait a minute. Maybe Putin was defending himself. Well, who is NATO? Who is the UN? And who are the central banks? Who is the IMF, the ECB, the private West Central Banks, the BIS, the Rothschild Banks? And then you start going, wow, this is, is this, fascinating. Is this why you're out Epstein Island? So in this movie, there is a sex island because Epstein Island isn't the only sex island out there. What do you mean? There's, okay, talk about the sex island because this thing is dealing with Columbia. Talk about the sex island. In this particular film, well, they, they do a raid and the, the lady that ran that operation, she was out. She was out of prison. You see, so you've got a lot of agencies that are involved in this where why wasn't she in prison? So he was down there talking to their side of their government saying, do you understand when this film comes out? It's going to shine a light on you. And if you don't put her back in prison, you're going to have problems. So, yeah, he's promoting he's promoting for labor, s- for uh, sound of freedom and yeah, connecting a lot of dots, asking a lot of questions. What the hell are the deeper, deeper questions about Ukraine? Places like that where hundreds of billions need to flow and wash through and we are not given anything but the most ridiculous characterizations of how the war started and why it must be waged at all costs and and why the impossible needs to be delivered before the fighting is going to stop. Remember what I, I, I accentuate that. Why... Before the fighting stops, the impossible needs to be delivered. They tried to do that with the vaccines there too. We won't be able to un- we won't be able to, to lift all the lockdowns until people are at 100% vaccination. Even though a, you'll never be able to get 100% of the people to go along with this, not people with a conscience, not people with a backbone. That's number 1. Number 2, with the time it took for everybody who was vaccinated to suddenly become considered unvaccinated again and then needed to be boosted, 100% vaccination was always an impossibility, but they kept pushing it down people's throats. And they're not getting all this land back in with Ukraine. It's not happening. It's not happening. So why? Why do they keep projecting victory? Why is it an impossibility? And then you have this. Hmm. So, um... I'm going to leave you guys with that. Let me go into your, your super chats a little bit. That's Jim Caviezel. Once again, the guy's great. You can tell, you can tell he's driven as well. Um, on quitefrankly.tv, remember tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be getting off early now, and I think it's going to be a group watching of Inception. If you have, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but we're going to watch it tonight. And I hope you enjoy it. Based on last night's conversation, it is Rabbit Hole Wednesday, and it makes a lot of sense. So please get on over to quitefrankly.tv and enjoy yourself for the rest of the evening. Sean Joe, thank you. Jesse1138, Boys Blanc, Alan Wrench has always great guests. You have no clue the kinds of guests that we have been we have been booking and the ones that we're pursuing right now. Not even just gigantic names and stature. Though there are some very well-known names that we're putting on the on the schedule in the coming months, but just wonderful variety in expertise and topics of conversation, you're going to love it. You're going to keep loving it, or else I'm not doing my job. Stostube, whole sleeve of cookies like Chips Ahoy. 
and porpoiseful. It's great to have you guys there. And I leave you in the loving arms of the network crew now on Quite Frankly TV. On Rumble, we have one Rumble rant over there that I saw. NJSF says Taiwan also dominates the plastic injection mold tech and production, which is as important, if not more, than computer chips. So you can see how that that could spin out of control real quick. Stostube. Thank you again for a wonderful super chat on quite frankly superchat.com says evening Frank and shake and bake says hello Lord Francis my pop and I are making a three-day trip to Missouri and back to New York long longest trip I've had I've certainly made already eight or so hours down we'll be tuning in every night taking the show with us my pop is taking a liking to you be seeing you well it's great to have both of you watching and hanging out or listening don't do too much watching if you're driving, obviously. But enjoy that. That sounds like a wonderful little adventure. I hope to have many of those in the future. Little driving trip. The hell's that? Somebody screaming in the uh in the alleyway out there. Scary. Uh I think that's it. I think that's all for tonight. Alright, guys, alright, gals. Well, um, be good. And also, I just wanted to let you know, as we said before, we had a winner in the Gilded, quite frankly, fan art room. It was Casey Kakalaki. Uh, we have made, Lauren designed it, I think, two days ago and ordered 50 to 100 postcards. So everybody, if you're in the, the, the monthly postcard club, you're going to get a very special edition patriotic postcard in the month of July but for everybody out there who would love to be mailed a postcard you can send your address as a note attached to any kind of PayPal contribution no matter how small how big it doesn't matter you go to the PayPal link that is on quite frankly TV on the sponsor us page or in the link below that I have listed there on the in the uh, the the episode description any, anything that you send to the show is a gift from now until July 15th. Just whatever you do, attach your mailing address to it, and we're going to scribble a little bit of a love note to you. Maybe Aurora scribbles a little something to you, too, and out the door it goes, and you get the special edition 4th of July patriotic postcard. Now, we'll do a lot more special edition postcards going forward, but... Just want to let you all know. Want to get you involved and have a have a fun time together. All right, are you ready for our badass? I am. Don't go anywhere. That's some badass shit. It's pretty badass. Who is he? Tonight's badass is Herschel Woody Williams. Before he passed away last year at age of 98, he was the last surviving Medal of Honor recipient from World War II. Initially rejected by the U.S. Marine Corps for being too short, Williams persisted and prevailed, eventually becoming a Marine and was assigned to demolition detachment as a flamethrower operator. In January 1944, he was assigned to the 21st Marines, 3rd Marine Division, and landed at Guam, where he saw his first combat. He recalled a lesson he quickly learned in combat. Quote, I strapped a flamethrower on my back and started crawling toward the pillboxes. I can remember bullets ricocheting off my air tank. And I don't know why I was smart enough to figure out that if I crawled closer, they couldn't get me. If I crawled backwards, they could have gotten me. 
On February 21st, 1945, Williams and the rest of the 3rd Marine Division landed on Iwo Jima. Two days later, on February 23rd, the same day that the flag raising on Mount Suribachi, Williams, with the help of four other Marines, engaged several Japanese pillboxes with his flamethrower. According to his Medal of Honor citation, quote, to volunteer his services when our tanks were maneuvering vainly to open a lane for the infantry through the network of reinforced concrete pillboxes, buried mines, and black volcanic sands, Corporal Williams daringly went forward alone to attempt the reduction of the devastating machine gun fire from the unyielding positions. Covered only by four riflemen, he fought desperately for four hours under terrific enemy small arms fire and repeatedly returned to his own lines to prepare demolition charges and obtain serviced flamethrowers, struggling back frequently to the rear of hostile emplacements to wipe out one position after another. On one occasion, he daringly mounted a pillbox to insert the nozzle of his flamethrower through the air vent, killed the occupants and silenced uh, silence the gun. On another, he grimly charged enemy riflemen who attempted to stop him with bayonets and destroyed them with a burst of flame from his open weapon. His unyielding determination and extraordinary heroism in the face of ruthless enemy resistance were directly instrumental in neutralizing one of the most fanatically defended Japanese strong points encountered by his regiment and aided in enabling his company to reach its objective. Corporal Williams' aggressive fighting spirit and valiant devotion to duty throughout his fiercely contested actions sustain and enhance the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Williams suffered from PTSD after his discharge from the Marines, but eventually found solace in his religious faith in the 1960s. He then went on to serve as the Medal of Honor Association's chaplain for over 30 years. There he is. Rest easy. And uh, I thank you all so much for the time tonight. I will see you tomorrow, 7 o'clock, for our Thursday edition. I think it should be a good one. I don't know necessarily what we're going to be doing, but it'll be good. See you then. That's not what I wanted to do. Darn it. <laughs> All right. Good night. And always remember, that's... Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatters. Starting with NJSF on the Rumble. And then over to, quite frankly, superchat.com with Stostube, Shake and Bake, and all of our wonderful friends on the gold pills at quitefrankly.tv. Get over there right now so you can enjoy tonight's rabbit hole presentation. All right. That's it. See you later.